So we're doing today a little bit differently uh, than usual. If you're new to Believer's Church, it's not the way we usually do our services. Um, and we'll see how it goes. You may say, I'd never want to do that again. And I don't know. Um, Brian and I were talking earlier this week, and it had this really creative idea. And then realized, wow, that was a lot more work than I thought to do something different than usual. But here we go. We're going to do this thing of worshiping through the tabernacle. And what is that? Well, you'll find out as we talk about it, but, but it's the idea of literally using the tabernacle we see in Exodus 25 through 40 as, as a way to approach God today. And the reasons for that, the first one is we want to be near and like Jesus, right? That's, that's what we say we're here for, to be near and like Jesus is the clearest revelation of who God is. God wasn't like confused when he gave Israel the tabernacle and temple. He was doing this whole long teaching trajectory to tell us who Jesus is. It's it's the gospel so simple, but it's so deeply profound. It's so deeply layered. And so, so much of the language that we have in the New Testament to explain who Jesus is relies on understanding what the tabernacle is. Does that make sense? So you, you can hear language, Jesus was the Passover lamb. What, or what was that? You need to know something in the Old Testament. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What you have to know about the tabernacle to know what that, the significance of that is. Here's another reason why. In, in the letter written to the Hebrews, it says that the earthly tabernacle is actually a copy of something that exists with God in heaven. You ever thought about that? Like, what is that? And, and we, don't, we don't have tons of info on that other than what we have in Hebrews and Revelation. I, we, we always uh, make these slides available if you ever want to look. The scriptures uh, uh, just contemplate them. That, that we're entering into something when we think about the tabernacle that actually is the way reality is. Does that make sense? And so um, that's one of the reasons we want to try it today. Could it be that Jesus has preferences for how we approach him? I mean, you do for how you're approached, right? Right? I mean, you know... Lots of us don't like being scared necessarily, you know. I mean, the enter into the worship by scaring the Lord, or yeah, I don't know. You know. Here I am, Lord. <laughs> you, know. you know what I'm saying? What's that wonderful proverb? A loud greeting in the morning is as a curse. That's true. That's a true statement, isn't it? Um, but could we learn something by looking at the tabernacle and kind of walking through it together of how the the Lord likes to be approached? I, I don't know. And the the other thing is this, is we're going to share a prophetic word that was given to us uh, over a year ago that we've been, we've been sitting on for a while and trying to figure out when do we share this with the congregation, and it seemed to fit really well in this concept of the tabernacle. So we'll, we'll talk about that toward the end of the service. So what we're going to do is, is just go through the tabernacle, do some songs, we're going to read some scriptures out loud together, and see what the Lord does. Sound good? Doing it anyway. <laughs> hey, we're, we're here. This is what we're going to do. So I'm going to start with just a short teaching on the tabernacle. So as we walk through it, it'll, it'll make some sense. Okay. Um, so the context is Eden, God wanting to be with humanity. 
in his presence, unmitigated uh, ability to be with people to the degree that it says in Genesis that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What's it sound like to hear God walking through a garden? I don't know, but they were close enough that they could tell, oh, God's coming. But we know that, that, that what happened, you know, that, that not only was humanity made to be with God, but humanity is the image of God on earth. And, and so humanity's role was to take care of the earth, lead the earth in this way that, that reflects his image under his leadership with him as the king. But we decided, let's, I think, let's try it our own way. Let's do our own thing. And, and here's the thing. What happens when we, when we push against reality, reality gets twisted. So that things get messed up. And, and so sin, sin does this thing where, where it actually deforms us. It, it, it takes us out of the image we were intended. And not only that, it, it goes out into all creation that it ends up like vandalizing creation. So sin vandalizes us, it vandalizes creation. And so because of that, because God didn't want humanity to... Yeah, like that animation? Uh, yeah. That's how it went. That was, that was actually... This is all true to scale. The whole, oh, do it again? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there they go. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too much time with keynote. God had to, the tree of life was in the garden and God had to get humanity out of the garden because they're in a state of being deformed. He didn't want them stuck in that. Eat from the tree of life means stuck in this deformed state. He wants to be with humanity. He wants humanity to be his image on earth. So the story goes that God comes to Abraham, he, he comes to Abraham's family, wants to be with them, rescues them out of Egypt, and then he says, I want to dwell with you, I want to be with you like we had together in Eden. And the way he does it, now this is why, it, it's, it's kind of weird to us, like why does then God say, alright, build me a tent? I don't know, he just did. And so we have God say, saying to Moses, Make them a have them make a sanctuary for me, and I'll dwell among them. This is the way I'm going to be with people again. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I'll show you. And so Moses and his buddies put this this tabernacle together out in the desert. It's it matters which way it's facing. Okay, so this is the east-west uh, orientation. That the there's a courtyard that the opening's on the east side. That's the way. If someone was coming into the tabernacle, they'd have to come through that way. And then the tabernacle itself is this tent that was within the courtyard. Now coming from the east, there's an altar of burnt offering. We'll talk about what's involved there. And then there's this wash basin for the priests. And then the tabernacle is divided into two rooms. On the front side is this place called the holy place. And on the back side is the holy of holies, or the holiest place. In the, holiest, in the holy place, there's a table of bread. It's called the bread of the presence. And then there's this, this, this candle, menorah thing that's light. 
that's always lit right there in the holy place. And then there's an altar where incense is burned. One of the things you can remember in the ancient culture, nobody wore deodorant. And you were around farm animals all the time. And there were no toilets. There are a lot of smells in the ancient world. It's, it's just the reality. And so incense was this beautiful smell that, that, would be, that you would really notice. And so, and so when Moses, in, so in Exodus 25 through 40, there's a lot of, if you've ever read through this, you're like, why all the detail and the size of the ark? I don't care. I'm trying to just live my life. It actually makes sense. There's deep, deep symbolic stuff in every one of these pieces of furniture, which we're not going to go into. I'm doing a fast Passover. But uh, we, we also, I forgot the most important part, is this ark that was this, this um, you know, rectangle box that was covered in gold. And in it was the, the law that God had written on these these stone tablets and placed in there. And then there's this cover put over it that was covered with gold. And two angels, cherubim, were over top of it. And it was called, it was called the atonement cover or the mercy seat. Both of those are legit translations that it's this idea there's actually a throne for God. The unseen God, this is his throne that he dwells above this. And here's what God said. He said, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant Law, I'll meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Now think about this for a second. Shortly before this, God had appeared to Israel on a mountain. And as they looked at this mountain, they saw fire, smoke, lightning flashes, thunder. And when God started to speak, they say, can you stop, please? You're scaring us. Could you imagine how overwhelming that was? And then God says, I'm going to dwell in a little tent next to you. I mean, it's kind of like saying, how do you take the sun and place it in a tent? I mean, that level of power and presence and effect that he's physically present. And that so God in his, you know, God is everywhere present, but he's humbling himself in a way that he can be among people that they can stand it and he can be there. So what happens, Moses and his guys build the whole tabernacle just like God tells them to do it. And it says the cloud, which is representative of God's presence, covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We talked about for a long time, the glory of the Lord is the overwhelming weight of his presence. It's right there in this, in this tent. And, but here's the fascinating thing. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is a big, big deal. God's among them, but Moses can't go in there. And we realize it's because this, this sin thing, the deformity of sin, it, the vandalism on the self and even in the presence of, of the very tabernacle just because there's sin on the earth. They couldn't enter it. And so what, that's, the, that's the last verses in Exodus. We go right into Leviticus and right out of the, then of the tent of meeting, out of the tabernacle, God says, here's how you approach me. 
If you want to get near to me, I'm going to explain it to you. So if you look Leviticus 1 through 7, so uh, we see all these different ways that on a daily basis, now we, it turns out that you can barely see that guy there. He's between the wash basin and altar of burnt offering. He's what we call a priest. He's got a sweet hat. Um, that was my best shot at a priest's hat. Um, that the Israelites couldn't just run into the presence of God. They had to have a representative that God chose from, it's from Moses' family from the tribe of Levi. And Moses' brother was this high priest who was over all of them. And he was the one that he had the special clothing that on these stones, they carve all the names on his shoulders and these stones on, that he'd wear all the names of the tribes of Israel. So he would represent Israel going into the presence of God. So every day they, they'd offer sacrifices uh, of, a, of, of a spotless animal. They put it on there and, and it'd be this every day, morning and night, smoke going up from the altar of burnt offering. And then the priest would go through this, not through the wash basin, but use the wash basin to cleanse himself so he could then go into the holy place. And there he'd have incense 24 hours a day going, renewing it morning and evening. Yeah, keep the, the, the lamps constantly lit there, the light in the holy place. And then once a week, they'd switch out the bread of the presence. And that's the way the whole year. This guy, the high priest, is, that's as close as we could get to God at that moment. And so what would happen, this is what occasional worship would look like in the tabernacle, just if some people would want to come and they do different, look Leviticus one through seven, you could do different things. Some things are just to say, God, I'm just grateful to you. Or I want to, I, I want to uh, thank you, or I want to fellowship with you. And you bring some food. Um, others are, I've sinned and I need forgiveness. Remember, sin brings this vandalism. It essentially brings death to the world. And so, so it's, it's kind of a weird concept that you'd have to have an animal sacrificed when there's sin. Well, why? Because life is in blood. When the blood's out, the life has gone out. And so a life that, that, that is innocent takes on itself the death that sin brings. And in my place, uh, takes on death and I receive forgiveness. And so what happened is there'd be, when it's a sin offering, the blood, the, the priest would take of the offering, he'd splash it around on that altar, and then he'd take it into the holy place and he'd sprinkle it on this curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And the strange thing is actually to cleanse the holy place. Why? Because sin is encroaching. The death is encroaching. And so we're, it's like the blood's this cleaning agent that would cleanse the holy place. And so that's one way that we'd worship. But one day a year, this is a big day, it's called the Day of Atonement. The Israelites would have this time where they have multiple different sacrifices that they would all be sacrificed on the altar of burnt offering. And then the high priest would make his preparations. He'd go to the incense altar. He'd take coals off of that altar burnt offering, and he'd really pump up the incense altar. And the reason was, if you read Leviticus, you've got to have a lot of smoke because you don't want to actually see the Ark of the Covenant, but because it'll kill you. Now, think about this. 
If you're traveling toward the sun, how's it going to go for you if you don't stop? Right? It's just the sheer power of the life of God. The sheer power of the life of God. You've got to be careful. So he's coming with the blood of these sacrifices that in his place, that there's multiple sacrifices because it's both for the priest and his family and the whole community of Israel to atone for their sins. And then once a year, he goes to the ark and he'll take this blood and sprinkle it on the cover, the, the mercy seat, the atonement cover. And the point is, again, to cleanse the holy of holies of the sin that's encroaching. And then he comes back out and he puts his hands on the head of this last goat and confesses all the sins of Israel. And they send him out of the camp and said, there go all the sins. And this is the way that for about a thousand years, the only way humans could approach God. I hope you're catching some of the the weight of it, by the way. You know what I'm saying? The the weight of this, like because there's a story later where um, some of Aaron's sons just come flying into the the tabernacle, like what's the big deal? Later we think they must have been drunk because later it says priests must not drink alcohol before they go into the tabernacle. For real, later. And so they just kind of, and they die. They just run into the sun, smokes them. Um, God's presence is that strong. Uh, in the presence also, it, it, life eliminates death. Light eliminates darkness, right? So when you're filled, when you have darkness and death in you, it's just going to go away in the presence of light. It's not he's angry, he's just himself. Does that make sense? Okay. So. This is the context in which we understand Jesus. If you want to note the references to this heavenly tabernacle, they're up there at the top of the screen. We have these slides. We always post them right below our YouTube uh, channel. Right where you go there, you can download this. That Jesus enters as one of us, as God himself, the the Son, (laughs) S-U-N, S-O-N, in human form, and he he approaches God, and he comes to the altar of burnt offering, and instead of bringing a perfect lamb, he himself just throws himself on the altar. He is himself the sacrifice. And the crazy thing is, not only that, he's also the priest. He's the high priest himself from a different order. God's the one who determined who, who, who the priests would be, Aaron and his sons. But we see that long before Aaron and his sons, there was another order of priests from a guy named Melchizedek early on. And that Jesus is from this line of priests that has always been. And he's the high priest. And then Jesus, we know early in his life, was baptized on behalf of all people. And then he goes straight into, he's ready to go into the holy place, but this is where we come in, where other humans come in. In our own sin, we, we, we come to this place that Jesus is I, a priest, and he says, do you want to follow me? Okay, well, then you're going to have to sacrifice your life and say, I'm in charge. I'm your high priest. And we have to pass through the waters of baptism. 
where we're cleansed and under the very blood of Jesus so that he can take us into the holy place on his merit, on his invitation. And we don't die there. We're in this spot where we're the closest that any human other than the priests have ever been in history because of Jesus. And then Jesus takes us all the way into the holy of holies. And here's a crazy thing that Paul says this, that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That's the Greek word hilasterion. It's also the same exact word used in the Greek Old Testament for the mercy seat. That Jesus himself is the mercy seat. Jesus himself is the enthronement of God in his own body. And so then we start to go, well, why wasn't there, why don't we have a tabernacle now? Well, because we see in John 1, 14, Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling is the word tabernacled among us. It turns out that Jesus in his being is the tabernacle. He is the location of the presence of God. Can you see this whole tabernacle is being sucked into the person of Jesus? And then we see that when we put our faith in Jesus, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and given one spirit to drink. We have been baptized when we are into Jesus. So when we're, we're going into the holy place, into the holy of holies, we're in Jesus under his blood, under his identity, in his very person. And what ends up happening is we become the tabernacle. Why? Because we're in Jesus. Not because we're so holy and so smart. It's because we've been found in Jesus. And what he's done in his blood, in his body, in himself being the tabernacle. So that Paul says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. When you see temple, just imagine tabernacle is portable temple. Make sense? Tabernacle is the portable temple. The temple is just a permanent version of the tabernacle. And in Jesus, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. One of the things I hope we catch, and this is a blisteringly fast version of this, is the stunning power of God himself that is present among us right now. That prior to Jesus, no one could approach without being vaporized it's like it's like jesus is is this 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 uh rocket suit that you can go and stand on the face of the sun in christ only in christ there's no other way to so we're going to worship through that we're going to basically the rest of the service we're going to be in and out and that clock says it's 322 so if the service goes late Oh, well, sorry about that, because it's 322 already. So um, (laughs) um, we're just going to go to each of these things. We're going to read some scripture that illustrates it. We're going to stand up and down, read some, uh, sing some words. Just follow Brian and I will do our best to lead. And yeah, sound good? All right. So here we are. We're going to enter the courtyard. We're imagining entering the courtyard 
And this is, this is a, a psalm that we think was used even in approaching the temple, one of the psalms of ascent. And so let's go ahead and stand together. And we're going to read this out loud together, this prayer from Psalm 100. Let's read this together. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's sing together.
just remain standing. And so we've entered the gates of the tabernacle and we see Jesus, our high priest, and he says, let me get this for you. And he offers himself on the altar of burnt offering on our behalf to be able to bring us close to his presence. These scriptures explain that to us. Imagine this. If you, if you feel any shame or disqualification, this is your chance for it to go away. We cannot fix ourselves. We receive what Jesus has done for us. Say, Jesus, I can't fix me. Will you cover me with your blood to cleanse me of my sin? So as we sing this next song, we're going to read this out loud, but as we sing this next song, I invite you, if you're feeling that, you're feeling those places to hold back from the Lord. We've already sang it. Nothing is holding us back. Because of Jesus. When we're focused on ourselves, it's always going to come up short because we can't make it there. But Jesus takes us. Let's read these out loud together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He sacrificed for our sins once for all when He offered Himself. Let's sing.
the lights went out when death had claimed its victory the king of love had given up his life the darkest day in history
Jesus, we receive your blood covering. We receive your blood covering. You've cleansed us of all sin. It was enough. Lord, for any of us who are still striving in our hearts to be on the inside with you based on how good we are. Those of us who are checking off the list of maybe God's mad at this or I, I, I'm okay. We just say it's for us too. Your blood is the only way through. So we receive that. Lord, I pray that every bit of shame will lift off of us now. Every bit of self-righteousness, we just go ahead and let it be humiliated at the cross of Jesus. Receive finally the pressures off. Finally we're free to run and play in front of God because of Jesus. You may be seated. So here we stand before the altar. Jesus has given himself. And Jesus wants to lead us into the presence of God. But he says, you have to give up your will. You have to surrender yourself. You have to surrender being in charge of your own life. And so we're putting ourselves on the altar in this moment. Here's a scripture we're going to read out loud together, which should be familiar. Let's read this out loud. And as I do, Jared, if you'd come forward. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Jared, come on up. I asked Jared to share a testimony of this idea of giving our bodies our in the moment of worship in our daily lives as worship sacrifice to Jesus. And so Jared's going to share a testimony how the Lord's let him do that. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I don't see the connection there, but okay. Uh, so earlier this year, we're coming in summer. My daughter's fixing to go on a mission trip. She's fully sponsored. We're like a week out and we start praying and just can't get settled. And so finally we get to this point where we're like, we're going to yank the chain on this. We're not going to do it. We call Lori and Vic. I'm trying to be really fast because he told me I only get five minutes. We call Lori and Vic and we're like, hey, uh, Madeline can't go. I don't know why. I can't place it. She can't go. We're no. Okay. And he's like, okay, great. Literally an hour after that, we get a phone call. My wife was supposed to have some procedure done in the fall. And the doctor called her and like, hey, we need to do this now. We're going to do it Friday, which would have been the day before my daughter would have left. So we're like, oh, this kind of resonates. So she goes to get the procedure done. And they're like, she's thinking like, yeah, I'll be out for like a week. And they're like, no, you're going to be out of commission like four to six weeks, like down for the count, recovering. So like, oh, okay, even makes more sense. She goes, has the procedure. She's walking through recovery the next week. The next week, my engine, the Jeep in my engine blows up. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is great. Wife's down, Jeep engine blows. 
few days later, I get bit by some random Spider-Man bug and I get staph infection in my arm and um, I'm urgent care a couple times, emergency room. I am like out of commission, can barely move, like sleeping, trying to cover for like a week. So in the midst of all this, we have some people that are bringing food out to us on like a meal train. And a couple comes out one night to drop us off food about a week and a half, two weeks into this. And they're giving us food. I'm like, thanks so much. And we're like laid up here on the couch, barely moving, doing stuff. And they're like, hey, can we share something with you? And I'm like, absolutely. Go right ahead. So it's like, so like a week and a half or so ago, I'm driving to work and I'm praying for you guys. And I feel like God is like, just telling me that he, he wants you to know, Jared, that he's heard your cries. He's heard your prayers and he wants you to know how much God loves you. And I'm like, thanks, man. That's awesome. And he's like, no, no, you're not hearing me, which I wasn't. And so he repeats the whole thing again. And I'm like, okay, thanks. He's like, and then God spoke to me like something I was supposed to do. So I got back home and I told my wife, I'm like, hey, this is something that I really feel like God is telling us that we're supposed to do. And she told him, yeah, I think you need to pray about that a little more because that's kind of a big deal. And so he's like, okay. So like they prayed about it. And he's like, finally, we got to a point where like really felt like this. So we talked to seven different families that we wanted to reach out to and said, this is what God's telling us. Do you want to be a part of it? He's like, all that said, here you go. And he hands me this little box. I actually meant to bring it. I forgot it. Little like Christmas clothing box. And we open it up and it's full of money, like a lot of money. And so we're like overwhelmed. He's like, I don't know what to tell you to do, but I just really feel like God wants to tell you, get a new engine for your Jeep. A million different God tangents in this whole story. Like one, the fact that my son had prayed earlier, Hey God, could you just bless my mom and dad with a box full of money? And I told my son, God doesn't work like that. I don't know if God ever laughs in your face, but he laughs at me a lot. Um, we go to call about the Jeep and it's $8,138 to replace the engine. The box had $8,100 in it. Um, so that said, fast track, like I'm psyched. I'm awesome. I come back the next Sunday. I'm like telling God about this awesome God's ray. He solved my problem. Um, and that was the end of it. And we move forward with life and several months go by. I am facing like 10 times more difficult financial decisions with our business, with life, with everything. And I get a text from God going, Hey, would you want to share that testimony? I told God, I literally, I was like, I responded, sure, bro. And then I stopped the car as I was driving and started laughing. Not like LOL, like online, but literally like, <laughs> oh God, what are you thinking? And so I'm like trying to like pray and remember what exactly I told him. And like, what does he actually want me to say? Cause he didn't tell me what I was supposed to say. So who knows if I'm saying the right thing, but, um, I just started praying like, God, how do I go give testimony for an awesome miracle? When I feel absolutely overwhelmed right now. And in case you're thinking like I'm in a better place, I'm not. I'm still in the same crappy situation I'm in trying to figure out God. But as I started thinking through this, I was just like $8,100. That was a lot of money. That was a cool thing. And I started thinking about money and I think it's a promissory note. And these, the value of the paper is worthless unless you believe the promise of what it's supposed to pay. And so I started thinking about this like it's a really cool thing. And I just came back to what the guy told me day one. God wants to know that he hears your cries and he hears your prayers and he wants you to know his overwhelming love poured out to you. And as I began to think about that, I just felt like God was like, it wasn't about the money. It was $8,100, 8,100 little notes 
trying to remind you of my promise towards you and the value of my promises towards you and how much I love you and how much I care about you and how much I'm going to be faithful to you. So what we just watched Jared do was worship by sacrificing himself to the care of God, right? That, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Jared. So we're traveling up to the very holy place itself. There's this wonderful text that David writes when David's in this moment of looking at this tent and thinking, I want to be with God. I just want to be with him. So let's read this out loud together and experience it with him. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Does that make a little more sense to you now that you read that with this context? I want to be, but it's like, I can't even get in there, but I want to get in there. It'll be my hiding place where nobody can find me in the presence of my God. And so I was going to say, we're going to skip that song. We're going to the next thing. We're at the very holy place and we, we're not going to spend time in the holy place. There's all kinds of fun stuff you could do. The incense altar revelation we talk about is the prayers of the saints. Arising before God. I got this picture of incense. But what we're going to do is follow Jesus all the way into the Holy of Holies. Where his own blood is what qualifies us to be there. It's so, so any, anytime you're any place you're not sure what to do, you, the first place is to look at yourself, right? Where do I put my hands, right? Jesus is the place we look. He's the one who qualifies us to be here in the face of the sun. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance. If you want to know what looking at Jesus' face looks like, when you go outside, stare at the sun for as long as you can handle it. That's what it's like. And so here in the Holy of Holies, we're going to... Read from Hebrews that explains where, how we were able to get here. So let's read this out loud together. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is made, not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, 
by His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So we're going to participate in this, that Jesus gave us a three-dimensional way to experience what He's done for us. You'll notice on your chairs, we've got our little communion cups. And we're going to do something a little bit different. If you're not used to these, the, the top part you pull off and you can get the wafer that represents the body of our Lord Jesus. And you tear off the next level and it, it's the, the juice that represents the blood of Christ. But what I want to offer you and invite you into is we're going to be singing a song here in a minute. And I want you to just sit with this for a minute. Jesus' body broken for us. We see that the sacrifice on the altar of burnt offering. His blood shed out for the forgiveness of our sins. I just want you to, at your own pace, as you're imagining this, maybe, maybe there's just a couple things you want to say to the Lord. Maybe you want to receive just His affection. Maybe you want to reflect on a couple of things. Maybe there's a relationship that Jesus want to invite you to offer forgiveness to in the same way you've been forgiven. Man, I tell you, nothing, nothing is a faster stop to the presence of God than unforgiveness. So what we're going to do is at your own pace, I want you to take the body of our Lord. Receive the blood of our Lord when you feel ready. And here's the thing. You can't get yourself clean for this. This is the cleaning agent. See? But to bring up some stuff, Lord, I need your cleansing. I need you. to. This is over my head. I can't, I can't fix this thing. You came to the right place. What's that wonderful Andre Crouch song? The blood will never lose its power. It gives me strength from day to day. So, guys, if you would lead us and go ahead and take communion while we're worshiping.
Let's just take a deep breath in the presence of the Lord. Holy are you, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. You may be seated. Joe Spann, if you could come on up. And Joe is going to share a prophetic word that we received about a year ago. Um, I'm going to take one quick risk because God told me if the Lord lays anything on my heart I could say it so I'm going to tell you something Um, who uh, knows that when God laid out the plans for the tabernacle he didn't need a house right God didn't need a place to live Stephen says it in Acts he says God doesn't live in houses built by human hands right but he wanted to be near us. He wanted to be with us. That is what the tabernacle is about. He built the tabernacle. He sent the prophets. He made the nation of Israel. He testified through the prophets and gave the law all because he wanted to be near us. And he sent Jesus because he wanted to be near us. He doesn't need a place to live. And so when you see all of this strange history about the tabernacle and a thousand years of history and sacrifices and all the prophets and all of that, just know this, that all of history is the story of God drawing near to you today. That this is the fullness of time. This is the moment where God has drawn near to you. He made the tabernacle so you could know him today. And I want you to understand that he did that so you could know him. And now we, as the tabernacle, as the place, as the dwelling place of God in the earth, exist as an invitation to the people outside. You all don't exist just for each other. This body of people exists to reveal God to the world. So, um, we have, we believe, speaking of God revealing himself, that one of the ways he does that is through speaking prophetically to people in the body. And that we, we, a, a couple of years ago, decided we want to be really intentional about how we do this instead of just sort of blurting it out and then letting it fall by the wayside. If God's speaking, we should probably pay attention, right? So we've developed um, a little system where we have a discernment team and we discern these words when they come forward. Um, we, discern, we, pray, we pray through them, we discern them, then we'll pass them on to the elders. Then the elders pray through them and discern them. And then we really try to listen to, the, to God about when do we share it? When is the time to share it? What should we do with it? How should we respond? 
So this came about uh, sometime in the spring of 2022 uh, from Laura Kittinger, who couldn't be here today, but um, I wanted to share it with you. In the spring of 2022, I was worshiping at BC on a Sunday morning and felt like I saw this picture from the Lord. Everyone was worshiping as normal, and then the east and west walls fell down. It wasn't dramatic. They were just gone. I began to have a sense and see that there was like a passageway, a highway, a river flow area running smoothly in and out of the east and west walls. The north and south walls stayed the same, and the worship band on the north wall continued to worship as normal. So when a prophetic word comes forth, you're not a spectator. I want you to let that image set in your heart, set in your mind, because the Holy Spirit wants to take it up and do something with that image in you. Okay? Thanks, Joe. So let's just sit for a minute. We've got those words there. You can look at them. We're just going to sit and contemplate it. See if the Holy Spirit brings anything to you. believe that some of you are getting some imagery. Maybe God's speaking to you about you, what God's doing in you. Maybe it's speaking more about the church broadly. We want to give space to when we feel like the Lord's speaking to us. And we've had a lot of people praying to this, feel like God is trying to tell us something through this. Short little deal. Now here's the thing, in case you're nervous that we're contemplating a prophecy given by a person, we never consider this to be equal to Scripture. It's always underneath the purview of Scripture. But here's what's fascinating about this word. So this was the image here of us being the tabernacle in Jesus, right? So if we lay over top of it the tabernacle, notice that the tabernacle is always facing east. We, us, this tabernacle. And the image is kind of like this river flowing from east to west, from the tabernacle. And now I'm going to read you a scripture. Some of you guys, if you know your Old Testament prophetic imagery, the prophet Ezekiel was in a really bad place. He'd been sent into exile with the people of Israel because this entire history of God wanting to dwell with his people for hundreds and hundreds of years, the tabernacle all the way to when there was an actual temple built by Solomon hundreds of years after the tabernacle was given. 
and it was the identity of God's people. Over and over again, we see Psalms that, God, we want to come up to your holy mountain. What he's talking about is the temple on top of the temple mount. We want to be with you. You're the sign that we're a people. You're the sign that we matter to you, and we're a sign to the whole world. But in Israel's ongoing disobedience to God, things got so bad, God it was kept on sending prophets. Will you turn back to me? Will you turn back to me? Will you turn back to me? He realized, I've got to take extreme measures. I'm going to let another country come in and take you over and destroy the temple. The one place you know that God was dwelling on earth is gone. So the prophet Ezekiel is, is, is sent into exile. One of the ways, you know, the ancient Near Eastern country, you know, countries would d- dominate someone else and say, you know what, we're taking you over and we're making you all leave. So you're going to lose your culture. You're going to lose your place. You're going to lose your religion. You're going to come and be subsumed into us. We're going to colonize you. So Ezekiel's this priest who's, who's in Babylon. Where is God's presence and he has this vision of God coming to Babylon to be with them. And then later in his prophetic thing, writings, he sees the temple rebuilt, beautiful, larger than before. And after this temple's built in this vision, this is what Ezekiel sees. There's a man who's like an angel speaking to him. It says, the man brought me back to the entrance to this temple, that this visionary temple that Ezekiel's seeing that God's going to restore his presence on the earth. He said, I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And and this, this, this angelic being leads Ezekiel out into the water and he starts getting further and further into the water. And it says in verse 5, it was a river that I couldn't cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. Then, the, then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea where nothing grows because it's just salt. Nothing's living in the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there. It makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Friends, Jesus has come. He, the temple, has made it possible to be in the very presence of God, this water that flows from the temple. Jesus said in John 7, if you put your faith in me, I'll give you the spirit and water will flow up out of you. You are the temple. 
that this living water flows. That if you'd lived around the Dead Sea, I know a couple of people have been to Israel and you realize there's nothing growing in that place. You can't even swim underwater because there's so much salt in it. It's buoyant. It's all dead. So see that this water flows, that everything that was dead and gunky is brought to life from the life of the spirit that comes out of God's temple. Could that be a word to us? Could that be a sign to us of what the Lord wants to do in us and through us? So we're going to pray a song. And it's an oldie, but a goodie right now. So let's stand together. Notice these verses. Could this be a prayer for those things that are Dead Sea kind of looking things in your life? Some of us were just with family and we saw a little bit more Dead Sea than we preferred. If you're like me, I tend to find Dead Sea in myself when I'm with others. Going, "Uh uh-oh, that's there. Could we invite the flow of the Spirit that's out of the presence of God that Jesus promised in John 7. It's not a metaphor. It's not an idea. The actual living presence of God in His temples flowing out to bring dead things to life. To bring hope to things that have no hope. To bring, to bring the, a tomorrow that when it seems it's done today. Could we do that? And pray this in faith together. Let the poor man say I am rich Let the lost man say I am found in
close today. This is just fun stuff when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Andrea Hogue, who used to be our children's director and now runs Care, runs Care Portal, works with Care Portal, uh, had something she remembered she was going to share, and then I'll cap it us off. Here. Yeah, so in 2015, we had started something at BC Kids called Hands on the Nations in 2014, and in conjunction with that, something called BC Kids Encounter, which was like a a prayer experience for the kids every quarter. And out of that space of ministry, somebody gave us this prophetic word in 2015. And they said, um, in the children's hallway, right in front of like the welcome center, there was this river running underneath that was, that was starting to crash and break the floor. And it was going to break the floor and flow from the hall into the sanctuary. Thanks. So I didn't ask Ken for permission, Ken, but Ken Weed, one of our elders, I posted the outline of this service for our elders saying, can you please pray? I don't know if we know what we're doing. And Ken wrote this in response to the outline and looking at the tabernacle. It says, throughout church history, the physical position of cathedrals and churches have maintained the importance of structure and position. Consider the falling wall's vision and the position of Believer's Church. I find it telling that the altar of burnt offering mirrors the eastern end position of B.C.'s sanctuary, where we offer our lives to God on a weekly basis. But it is in Believer's Church's front foyer where the Holy of Holies rests. God's physical presence open to all who will enter. Christ, through His blood, has flipped the script. His presence is now open and available to all at the front door while drawing us through the hallway of community shared communion, living into the discipleship journey of personal sacrifice. However, we persisting in our sin-stained vision must learn to trust that Jesus has removed shame as far as the east is from the west. Sunday's journey through the tabernacle is not a journey into an exclusive faith for only the few privileged souls, but a sacrificial realization that salvation is free, complete, and finished. We are forgiven, forever free. The door is open. They will feel comfortable here. Ooh. Another, another fun little tidbit is as Andrea walked up here, Kevin came running up, and Kevin never does, said, I don't know what she's going to say, but the Holy Spirit just said, that's the message. So I'm just telling you, that's the message, that the Lord wants to, 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 to bring us into the place where the Holy of Holies is our invitation, and we're flung out into the world. Andrea noticed that our children's ministry is on this side, and all the things where we store care portal goods is on this side of the church. Isn't that wild? Going out to... You'd be willing to be flung out? I'm going to need a little more enthusiasm for, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, only if you mean it, but you know. Okay. Well, then as we're flung out, let's pray for Oikos Map. For those who don't know what that is, it's a relational network. The people around us we have relationship with that are far from God. That is, if you will, there's the, there's the, the, where the river's flowing into a dead sea where there's not yet life. It's right in this relational network. So let's bring their faces to mind, the people that God has put into your life.
Now let's pray this together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Go be the river, guys. Love you.